Welcome to the Digital Edge with Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway. Your hosts, both legal technologists, authors, and lecturers, invite industry professionals to discuss a new topic related to lawyers and technology. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 109th edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises. And I'm Jim Calloway, director of the Oklahoma Bar Association's Management Assistance Program. Today, our topic is how alternative business structures are working in a UK law firm and will they cross the pond? Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. Thank you to Answer One, a leading virtual receptionist and answering services provider for lawyers. You can find out more about them by giving them a call at 800 Answer One or online at www.answerthenumberone.com. That's www.answerthenumberone.com. Thanks to our sponsor, Scorpion, which delivers award-winning law firm web design and online marketing programs to get you more cases. Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms just like yours attract new cases and grow their practices. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast. Thanks to ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit ServeNow.com to learn more. We are very pleased to have as our guest today, David Beach, CEO of the professional service firm Knights in the UK. David has led the business, originally a law firm, since 2011. His vision for Knights is to become the leading regional professional services business in the UK. David qualified as a corporate lawyer in 1990 and in the late 90s turned to law firm management until 2004 when he left the law to raise and manage a private equity fund. He has brought these skills together by leading Knights to become the first commercial law firm to raise external private equity investment in 2012 and to become today the fastest growing commercial firm in the UK. Thanks for joining us today, David. Pleasure, and thank you for inviting me along to talk to you about ABS in the UK. Good to, good to talk to you, Jim and Sharon. Well, David, I know some of our listeners won't have a lot of familiarity with alternative business structures, or ABS, as that term applies to law firms. Can you help them understand what an ABS looks like, perhaps using Knights as an example? Sure. Well, since the rules came along in January 2012, allowing law firms to convert to an ABS. There's been around 600 ABS licenses granted in the UK, and the vast majority of those ABS law firms have not changed at all in their, in their look, in their feel, in their shape. There's perhaps been the odd finance director or operations director joined the ownership and management of those law firms, but there hasn't been substantial change. But in circa 25, 30 of those uh, 600 licenses, there's been quite dramatic change. In the fundamental change in those 25 to 30 ABS law firms has been external investment and a new ownership structure whereby investors have come into the law firm to acquire an interest, normally a substantial interest, uh, and then substantially influence the manner in which the law firm 
is operated, is managed and taken forward. So there hasn't been as big a change as perhaps people may think and there hasn't been that many firms that have changed and I think the progress has been slower than people thought in 2012 but for those that have embraced the ownership change which ABS allows and it allows external non-lawyer investors to come in and own and manage law firms then in those firms there's been dramatic change. David you were a practicing lawyer yourself what motivated you to move to the entrepreneurial side of things? I was a practicing corporate lawyer as you said for around 16 years and then had the opportunity and wanted to do something different and get into investing in firms. I'd become, in my latter part of my 16-year legal career, I'd become more interested in business than actually advising clients. I wanted to be involved in business, and that got me into private equity in 2004. Uh, and then that's, that experience of investing in various different companies led me in sort of 2009 to really get interested in could I bring that type of business experience into the legal sector, which was at that time and still today in the main, is very much sort of owned and led by the people who are in the business, working as uh, lawyers in the business. And I wanted to bring a whole new sort of business acumen and approach to to law rather than uh, it be run by the professionals. And that's what I wanted to do and was able to do then finally in June 12 when the new ABS rules came into force. Well, I, I should mention to the audience that I'm very grateful to David, who agreed to speak to the Virginia State Bar's Committee on the Future of the Practice of Law. And so I've, I've had the pleasure of speaking with him before, and you were absolutely marvelous to do that for us. And one of the things we talked about that day, as you'll recall, is how the American legal industry has remained stubbornly opposed to ABS in any form. So I'm going to repeat a, a question I asked you when you spoke to the committee. Why do you think think American lawyers are so opposed to ABS? Um, I think it's a sort of defensive uh, reaction and a defensive strategy to, to not change, maybe feeling under a sort of threat of that change. And, you know, one can understand that if, if it allows more competition, uh, there'll be many people afraid of that and feeling threatened by it. So I, I can see exactly why uh, any legal group in, in any country would perhaps be feeling threatened and want to be defensive to any change which allows you know, more competition. I think I can go on with that to say that it's not just a threat, it's an opportunity. And I think to be able to attract investors and be able to legally apply a structure which encourages and allows external investment into any business and certainly into any law firm is a good thing too and if embraced and used in the right way with the right people involved then there's many opportunities to to use that change of environment that ABS has brought to the UK in a very positive way it's not just a threat it's a it's a significant opportunity but I think it's considered by I would imagine it's considered by the legal fraternity in the U.S. to be a threat and only a bad thing, but I would challenge that to say, and we're showing it in our business, that you know, it can be an extremely positive thing. 
One of the objections to ABS that we often hear on our side of the pond is the fear that the increased search for profits for investors may cause less than strict adherence to the legal ethics rules. How would you answer that question? Uh, bluntly, I think that's rubbish. I think <laughs> there's no way when investors are putting money into a business that they're not going to concentrate on important compliance, ethics. Uh, I think that when you have an owner and an ownership structure, I think law firm partnerships lack ownership influence because a lot of partners, certainly in larger partnerships, there's above sort of, say, three, four, five partners. When you have larger partnerships, I think it's hard to feel if anybody owns the business because everybody's in the business sort of for income and sharing profits and competing with each other for those profits. I think when you have a, a normal outside-of-law ownership structure where people have put the money in rather than taken it out, then there's a strong focus on anything that's important to that business uh, to support the investment, and that includes compliance and ethics and acting for clients properly. So I would actually challenge that as being wrong, and I, I think there's more focus on the correct things when somebody owns the business and is invested in it. It isn't as people are sort of saying or thinking. I think that's part of a defensive strategy, again, to try and fight away the prospect of external investment because it's considered to be a threat. Well, when they become an ABS, is there friction when a group of lawyers who are used to running their own business now find themselves as employees with an outside management team in place? I would assume, David, that the answer is, is yes. And if so, how does one address that friction and how did you address that friction? The answer is a categoric yes. Uh, I don't profess that this change from a part equity partnership structure to a a corporate structure where there's an external investor and a management team responsible to the shareholders as well as to the people and the clients is an easy transformation route. It's not. The way we've gone about that is to, well, when we first did this in June 12, it required quite a bit of time to talk to the initial group of seven partners. In fact, when I first tabled an investment proposal, we got a 5-2 vote against. And it was only after another few weeks of facilitated discussion by facilitated I mean the group of seven had a facilitator that they then saw eventually the sort of opportunity and voted unanimously in favor uh, we've then since done two other acquisitions to add to the initial one and it's challenging to win the hearts and minds of, of, of a lot of people but especially the equity the former equity partners I think one important way you do that is you engage with them a lot at the beginning and you stay engaged with them and it takes time it takes uh, a few months if not a year or more for people to become comfortable and to trust a structure whereby they're employed in a business and the thinking is for the business rather than any one or the loudest individual it's it's all about the business and it takes a bit of time to get used to that focus on the business rather than on the individual but it's possible but it's not easy and i think that's possibly one of the biggest reasons why the adoption of external investment and the switch to abs is taking time and isn't happening quickly uh, i don't think this is necessarily an easy thing to achieve but if you can achieve it then i think the opportunities and the results for a lot of people including those former equity partners can be hugely significant 
A concern of lawyers might be the worry that ABS will mean that they make less money. What has been the financial impact on the partners and other lawyers in Knights? In the main, most people have made the same or more. In the minority, some have made less uh, because what a corporate ABS structure allows is a very strong meritocracy. Uh, and you're allowed to quite quickly start to embrace meritocracy and reward people for their contribution fairly and properly. And that means if a former equity partner is not contributing sufficiently to, on, to match what they were previously earning on merit, then in my humble view, a sensible uh, business and, and a well-managed business is to reward people fairly, which means the minority in, in our history of for the last four years, the minority have had a redu reduction in earnings, but the majority have earned the same or more. And I would say around 25% of the former equity partners we, we've actually dealt with have earned more and on occasion substantially more because you're able to then match earnings to contribution much more easily in a corporate structure than you are in an equity partnership. David, this is all very interesting, but before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. Is your firm experiencing missed calls, empty voicemail boxes, and potential clients you'll never hear from again? Enter Answer One Virtual Receptionists. They're more than just an answering service. Answer One is available 24 7. They can even schedule appointments, respond to emails, integrate with Clio, and much more. Answer One helps make sure your clients have the experience they deserve. Give them a call at 1-800-ANSWER-1 or visit them at answerone.com forward slash podcast for a special offer. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the country. Connect your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and the rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit servenow.com. Not getting enough cases from the internet? The kind of cases you want? Scorpion can help. Over the last 15 years, Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms just like yours attract new cases and grow their practices. During this time, Scorpion has won over 100 awards for its law firm website design and online marketing success. Join the thousands of law firms which partner with Scorpion and start getting more cases today. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast. Welcome back to the Digital Edge on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our subject is how alternative business structures are working in a UK law firm. Will they cross the pond? We are very pleased to have as our guest, David Beach, CEO of the professional services firm Knights in the UK. David has led the business, originally a law firm, since 2011. David, when a professional management team comes into a law firm, is it actually a better thing business-wise for the lawyers insofar as they no longer have to run a business, which is usually not their core skill set. 
Our experience has been a categoric yes for the lawyers and the partners. They've been released from a load of boring meetings. Uh, they're no longer needing to sit in rooms to debate lots of fairly irrelevant and, and boring details. They're able to focus uh, on what they originally entered the law to do, and that's to work with clients, advising clients, and supporting their clients. And the response we've had from all of our uh, former equity partners has been how much they've enjoyed being released from those boring meetings, <laughs> talking about loads of administrative things which they didn't feel were important or needed them to be in the room, and be released to really dedicate themselves to supporting their clients, which they've enjoyed doing. And the clients have responded similarly. The clients have enjoyed that access to their partner advisors that they want. They want the access and they want the speed of response. And this type of structure has enabled more of that to happen. Uh, and the reaction from both the partners and the clients has been hugely positive. I am reminded when you talk about boring meetings, how many lawyers have said to me, I just want to practice law, and yet here's a solution that many lawyers seem to be rejecting. Although you can't just practice law, tell us about the uh, IT training and marketing training that you require for your lawyers and why that makes your firm more competitive. One of the things we started doing very quickly in June 12, and it took us a year to actually bring in, was a, a brand new IT system. And we wanted to then start to train the lawyers in 2013, all the partners, the associates and the paralegals, to actually use technology rather than look at it. I think in the legal profession, certainly in the UK, you see lawyers looking at technology and then dictating <laughs> and getting other people to do things, like secretaries. What we wanted to do, and we've done it now for the last three years, is to use technology rather than look at it. So we no longer have secretaries. In our business, we've now grown from 60 lawyers to 400, and all of those 400 lawyers, partners, associates, and paralegals use technology rather than look at it. So they do, we don't have any secretaries in the business, and the, most law firms in the UK tend to see about two and a half solicitors or fianas for every secretary, we have 400 and no secretaries because they use the technology and they can do things faster themselves than actually dictating to somebody else to do it. For example, a, a partner or any of our uh, fianas can actually prepare and send an invoice to a client in less than three minutes. And I defy any system where you have to dictate a bill to do that faster. And it's the technology, but it's much more the culture of embracing and using technology that's made the big difference, not the actual systems. You need good systems, you need a, a fantastic IT tool, but it's how you use the tool that's the really important thing. And you, we coach, we talk, we encourage all the people when they're coming in to spend their first few weeks learning how to use the system, but really learning how to change their approach to IT to actually use it rather than actually dictate. And that's been the big change. On the BD marketing, we do a lot of client engagement coaching. I, th I think it's interesting in law that there's a lot of technical training and then that's followed through, through people's careers where that technical training carries on and on. But there's very little or no client engagement training. And actually how you engage with your clients, how you set up uh, all the transactions and all the instructions with the clients, how you talk to the clients, how you listen to the client. We, we teach how to listen to the client how to ask questions of the client. I think these are very important client engagement skills that we've also coached. So those are the two areas of IT training for people to do things for themselves rather than ask others. And then the engagement training with clients has been the two big 
things we've introduced to the business of professional services. Well, you realize, David, you're not going to win any popularity contests with American legal secretaries. I, I do realize that, <laughs> and the same applies to the UK as the US. <laughs> <laughs> I could well imagine it. I'll tell you, every time I talk about ABS to American lawyers, they cite the failure of the Australian firm Slater and Gordon as a black mark against ABS itself. Why do you think that firm failed? And did it have anything at all to do with being an alternative business structure in your judgment? Yeah, it's it's interesting that it's a, probably another restraining factor on ABS in this country, that in the UK, because some of the early entrance as ABS have been disasters and certainly Slater and Gordon has been one of those um, I think their, their ultimate failure in, in recent time, in the last 12 months has been their acquisition that they did which was a huge acquisition and it was absolutely the fact that they were an ABS and a listed entity that allowed them to sue and complete that acquisition because they could raise the financing on, a, on the stock exchange uh, were they not an ABS and were they not listed, they wouldn't have been able to raise the finances to do what was, in the end, a terrible transaction for them. So uh, it was the fact they were an ABS, it was the fact they were listed, uh, that they could then raise the funding to buy a business called Quindell, and that was an, an utter disaster, and it, they, they shouldn't have bought that business. And I think were it not for them acquiring, for Slater and Gordon acquiring Quindell, then they'd still, I think, be considered to be flourishing and moving forward in a, in a sort of sensible direction. But they made a huge mistake to buy a business for a lot of money, and it simply was not worth what they paid for it. Um, and that's caused them a, you know, a, a huge problem. Um, I think were it not for that, I think then you know, things might have been different later on. So they made a mistake, but it was a, a massive mistake. David, we know that you believe one of the keys to success in an ABS is creating the right culture. Can you explain what that means, how you've worked on that, and how long it takes before the lawyers, who we've noted were formerly equity partners and are now salaried employees, deal with the new culture? Okay, first of all, I think the structure of, of having a corporate structure with an investment, an investor, and a management team allows you to develop one culture. I think equity partnerships have lots of cultures because there's lots of people who believe that they are owners and can influence. So the more partners, the more cultures. And you can't have a cohesive single culture, I don't believe, in a medium or large equity partnership. So you're off to a flying start in the type of ABS structure we've embraced because we have the opportunity to develop one culture. It doesn't necessarily mean we will, but it means we have the opportunity to. So what we've done in the last four years at nights is, without reading textbooks, and none of this is just through experience I'm talking, we've really sort of thought about culture, and culture, in my view, is defined by the behaviors in a business. It's not something that's written on a website or written on walls. It's actually you can feel it as an intangible thing, but you can feel it by the behaviors in the business. So we've talked a lot about the behaviors that we started with and then the behaviors that we wanted to encourage and nurture. And we work on this every single day. And we wanted to create a team culture where the work is shared between partner, associate, and paralegal so that we can deliver value for money to the client. Because there's a lot of processing now in legal services and it's important to deliver value for money that that processing is done at a, in a cost-effective manner with lots of paralegals brought into the business. So we've introduced 140 paralegals in the last 
four years. And we've then integrated the paralegals with the associates and partner. And because it's a team business model, we've needed a team culture whereby every single client of the business is shared and all the jobs are shared, always between those three groups of partner, associate and paralegal. So the way in which we sit with each other in open plan, the way that we position everybody, it's always to mix up partners, associates and paralegals. Nobody has big desks and big offices. Everybody sits together, works together in an integrated fashion. Uh, we talk a lot about the culture. We ask people how they're feeling about the culture and we measure sensibly to that culture. So you cannot measure fees per fee in a team environment because the job is always being shared. So it's things like the way we operate open plan, the way that we measure financial performance, the way we talk to each other, having a flat structure in our thinking and not a hierarchy, uh, and also managing people out when they don't want to be in that structure, when they want to be hierarchical or they want to be an ego and they want it to be about themselves individually much more than the business, then occasionally we've had to manage the people out that we didn't think could come in and be part of the team culture. It's all those things. There's many factors which I think we've embraced to nurture a team culture, but not team culture because it sounds nice and it's a fluffy answer. Team culture because we are serious about being a team business model to deliver value for money to the client. Well, it certainly doesn't sound like a description of an American law firm, at least not today. <laughs> so cut to the bottom line here, David. What's your prediction? Will ABS come over to our side of the pond? I've been really looking forward to answering that question. I, I think, I think it will, will happen anyway, with or without the legal sector, because I think clients and other investors will find a way to compete with professional services be it law, accountancy, or any other professional services. But I think investors and clients will find a way to compete with lawyers in America with or without ABS. So I think to ignore it is a dangerous strategy because I think competitiveness will come into the processing and expertise of law in the U.S. with or without the legal sector uh, embracing change. The change will happen, in other words, driven by client more than anything else, more than statute, more than deregulation. It will be driven by client. I think the, the client is, is driving the change in the UK, and including ABS, much more than the actual government or, or the law society. So it's going to happen. Change is going to happen. It's going to be driven by the client. I think not to embrace it is to miss an opportunity. And I think also there's a risk to not embrace the opportunity to embrace change and to be part of the change rather than ignore it because it's then going to be found a way of being deregulated. And I think it's a much safer and better environment if the legal fraternity in the U.S. can be part of embracing the change to actually make sure it stays within a regulated environment and is done in accordance with professional ethics and guidelines that we, you know, many of us would support. So I think not to embrace it is a missed opportunity and I think also dangerous because I think a lot of the change that comes with modernization of professional services is going to happen. It's going to be fueled by IT, but it's going to be driven by the client and I think therefore it's a missed opportunity if the US uh, lawyers don't think about how they can maximize that sort of opportunity and sort of get with the program of it of change really. Well, it's a true pleasure to have spoken with you today, David, and Jim and I both want to thank you. I, I think we probably agree that 
lawyers ignore ABS uh, at their own peril and, as you say, miss an opportunity. It really was very useful to hear from someone who has taken a law firm into becoming a professional services organization and made that work. And I think that the story that you tell is a story that American lawyers don't really know very much about. They have the fear but not the knowledge. And you have told them a story of how a successful ABS works. And I think that may be very useful to them. And of course, you've told them in a very colorful, witty, and occasionally blunt way. (laughs) So we we thank you very much for joining us today. It really was a pleasure. No, it's been a total pleasure talking to you. And uh, I hope your audience gets something out of this. And if any time any of them want to come across the pond and talk to me in person, they're most welcome. Well, that sounds like an opportunity that somebody might take you up on, including me. (laughs) (laughs) And that does it for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. And remember, you can subscribe to all of the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on iTunes. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Miss Sharon. Happy trails, cowboy. Thanks for listening to the Digital Edge. Produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway for their next podcast covering the latest topic related to lawyers and technology. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.